Hey, thanks for listening to the Daily Walk podcast. Just want to remind you that if you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments, or any prayer requests, you can go online to the Boulder Church website, which is at boulder.church. Send them along. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, look after each other and live love. Good morning. It is Monday, May 6th. Welcome to Daily Walk. I am Becky de Oliveira. And I am Jafet de Oliveira. And glad for Monday, glad for the beginning of a new day for work and school and all the things that are called to it. And so let me pray for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this new passage. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to pause a little bit again, reflect on who you are. And thank you for the call of life that you've called us into and for the ability to be able to uh, live and to change our communities. We ask for a blessing on this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today, the NLT, John 4, 1 through 26, subheading Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus didn't him, himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on his mountain, on this mountain, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Mm. I like that. That's good. 
good translation. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Jesus has this whole thing about how the Jews know everything about God and salvation because he's otherwise pretty critical of the Jews and in the sense of, you know, he kind of goes butts heads with the religious leaders and everything. So this is just an odd kind of perspective to hear him being so defensive of them and making it sound like they have all the answers when we know he doesn't really think that. That's actually interesting. And and it is interesting because he has just come out. I mean, he's like, he's cleansed the temple not that long ago, maybe a year, I think, or so before that. And he's just done so many confrontational things. He's fighting with the Pharisees. It's a reason Mm -hmm. he's here at the well to begin with is Mm -hmm. because they've, I guess, kind of driven him out of Judea. Is that right? I think there's actually more to the story than that he had to leave. I think that actually he chose, and and the reason why he chose to go through this, because it's a it's a place where if Jews went into that city, they were or went on that route, they were likely to be beaten up, uh, robbed, abused, attacked, mm. and so the fact that Jesus chose to go there is pretty brave. Um, I mean, he would have been safer just to. Handle himself inside uh, the Jewish territory. Well, it's um, interesting. I'm assuming that the woman can tell that he's a Jew probably from his accent oh, or maybe his clothing yeah, or something yeah, about the always. way he looks. His clothing for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Well, probably the way he speaks. And uh, absolutely, and and uh, from his clothing for sure. And because um, yeah, here, for he instance, speaks. if somebody sat down and asked you for something, you'd say, "Oh, you're a Canadian. How interesting!" <laughs> or you know, maybe you wouldn't notice right away. And uh, uh, yeah, and not only that, but I mean, the fact that he's actually speaking to her is really risky. I mean, there's a lot about the entire um, the entire picture that's really odd. And so he's he's breaking a lot of rules just by meeting her at the well. Yeah, I think there are a lot of... I could say a lot about this conversation, but we yeah. should probably get to the question. Uh, what yeah, is it? Yeah, so here's the question for today. Why is worship so closely related to identity? And why was it this way for the Samaritan woman? Um I think everything is closely related to identity, not just worship. Yeah, that's but, true. I mean, but worship is a, is a well, hot especially any time you have a situation like this where you have a dominant group of people who say that they are right about everything and they look down on another group of people. Mm. That group of people, in this case, the Samaritans, obviously, they're going to feel the need to dig their heels in a bit more, and their identity becomes that much more important. You know, when there's yeah. kind of a them and us, then it you become more entrenched in your camp, so to speak. I think if we think about worship uh, today, we we often don't. I mean, I don't know whether we think about worship taking place every single day, taking place all the time, or whether we think of worship just taking place once a week, or whether we use it as a collective term, you know, just for our services at at, at church, or whether we use it as a term whenever we are praying or connecting with God, or uh, or whether we're in His presence, but. It is it is a much bigger term um, than than we give it credit often, and I think we usually just bring it down to you know that one and a half hours, two hours, whatever the service time period is that takes mm. place on uh, on a Sabbath on a Saturday morning, and um, and so there is that kind of like small identity spectrum that we have. Well, I kind of agree with that though, because you know when people say that all kinds of things that you do are worship. I'm not sure that I think that because I feel like worship is a pretty specific word for a pretty specific thing. So not everything you do is worship. When you're gardening, you're not worshiping, you're gardening. It's a different thing. It feels like worship is specifically, what it means is specifically directing your energy toward the praise of something. And does other things that you, that you do does are it not... mean you can't worship God if you actually are in anguish unless you're praising God? 
Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not talking about whether yeah. you're in anguish or not. You could be in anguish and still be praising God, I suppose. But I'm saying that not every action that you do is an act of worship. I think otherwise, why would we have a specific name for it? I think it's something else. Yeah. Um, so, and, and in a way, it feels like kind of a strange thing to do also. What, what to, to be able to gather people together well, or to, no, or to, to name it? to specifically worship something. Yeah. To specifically... I don't know, sing to something or wave your arms around or do any of the things that people do. If you think about it, just from, you know, like I often like to do, imagine that I'm an alien and I just landed here and I don't know why anybody's doing what they're doing. You missed missed the beam. It would be an odd thing. Like worshiping, why? What's the point of doing that? Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, that's true, and 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 to be able to get into the minds of of what people are actually doing collectively together. Well, and also, it feels like being the recipient of the worship, being in other words, God, would be just kind of a tad embarrassing <laughs> to be. And, and all these people are doing all these things. You know, maybe they're doing mime stuff, and they're <laughs> again they're singing. You went to mime, didn't you? <laughs> well, I was in clown ministry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know. Yeah, so all these things, it just feels... I think... I don't, I think okay, look, what it makes me think of is when I was in, say, third and fourth grade, we used to go to retirement homes mm-hmm. and we would sing for the old people. Now, we weren't worshiping them. We were performing to entertain them, I suppose. But I always thought, these old people, why, why would they want to hear a bunch of kids that they don't even know sing? Mm-hmm. And I think this even more now. Because now I'm closer to being an old person. And I think there's no way that I'm even remotely interested in having a bunch of kids come and sing to me mm-hmm. and I'm not God or anywhere mm. even I mean obviously I'm good, kind of a good, jerk good, good. but I just think I don't know why, why would God want that a bunch of people singing and waving their arms and I think doing all this stuff I think there's a, why I think would there's he a lot. care about that one way or the other I think there's a lot of identity uh, embedded in in how we worship and I think there's a lot of identity in, in and there's a lot of uh, issues in our identity of, of how we connect ourselves to worship because it's the thing that actually brings us together. Yeah, and I suppose it does. Well, other things can bring you together. Well, you don't sure. have to worship to Sure, be. there are many things that bring you together. You can sit down and you can eat. Worship. You can actually go to school. You can go to work. I mean, there's, you can yeah. get on a bus. I mean, there's lots of things that bring you together. I'm, I'm talking about this. the reason why this one is powerful mm. and works is because this actually does bring us together. And and if and if you do this together, it's actually it's the, the belonging to each other that's actually really great. Well, and, and God. which to me raises the issue of segregated worship. And why? I mean, this is an example of it in this passage, but then you see many contemporary examples of segregated worship. Don't they say that the worship hour is the most segregated hour in American life, right? There's some kind of um, saying about that. Because people may live in the same neighborhoods and work in the same places and ride the same train and bus, but they go to their own churches is one thing where there's not a lot of crossover, evidently. Hmm. So is there anything that actually is not segregated? Like is a supermarket not segregated? Well, I don't think so, no. You, not by economy? Well, it, it could be, but I'm saying See, think, if you I live in the same neighborhood, you probably would go to the same supermarket. Mm, no. Well, around here, I think we would because there's only one. So well, probably everybody who lives here goes to the same supermarket. that's interesting because I actually asked some people when we were moving well, here. I guess and they there said are two, to us, but They actually travel all the way to Longmont to do shopping or, or outside of here than to do shopping here. And so, really? Yeah. And so it's, it's, it is interesting. Well, they might go to Whole Foods or something. If yeah, they wanted so that, they would I, have I to think go to that, Longmont. I think that there's, 
if segregation, I mean... I was talking about racial segregation, yeah. where that wouldn't even be a problem here because there is no racial diversity yeah. here to begin with. But, yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, unfortunately, our time's up, and we should come back to that because that's actually a really good question that we should look at this week. So, But here it is. Why is worship so closely related to identity, and why was it the way for the Samaritan woman? So think about that, look after each other, live love, and we will connect tomorrow. Thanks for your support for the Daily Walk podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we just want to let you know that we're praying for you, and we're glad that you're praying for us too. If you can help us out by giving online, then please go to boulder.church forward slash give and help this ministry actually make an effect on others as well. Keep us in your prayers, look after each other, and live love. Yeah.